Welcome to the Michigan Minds Podcast, a quick and informative analysis of today's top issues from University of Michigan faculty. Well, thank you so much for joining Michigan Minds for the special series to discuss women in STEM. Can you please introduce yourself and share a little bit about your role at the University of Michigan? Thanks for having me today. I'm uh, Julie Lumang. I'm trained as a pediatrician. Um, I'm a professor of pediatrics here at the University of Michigan and of nutritional sciences at the School of Public Health. My role now is um, several roles. It's the executive director of the Michigan Institute for Clinical and Health Research, which is the University of Michigan's Clinical Clinical and Translational Science Award, which I could explain later. That role also overlaps with being the Associate Dean for Clinical Research at the Medical School, as well as the Assistant Vice President for Human Subjects and Clinical Research um, at the university. Fascinating. You have so many different roles. Can you briefly touch on the vast breadth of human research activity that goes on across the University of Michigan and how the university has worked to re-engage that activity amid the COVID-19 pandemic? As you know, U of M is a number one public research institution and with our expenditures being 1.6 billion a year. And of that about 40% of our research expenditures involves human subjects research. So it's a big piece of the research being done at the University of Michigan. Um, So, you know, one of the most important things in the midst of this pandemic that I've often told people is that, You know, there are some problems in the world that need to be solved by um, treaties between countries or uh, laws or regulations or that sort of thing. And then there are some problems we encounter in the world that have to be solved with medical science. And I, this is in our lifetime, one of the big ones that this is the moment that medical science and research really needs to be able to rapidly ramp up to address um, the pandemic and what's happening right now. And so um, uh, because of the urgency of it, it really does involve mobilizing a lot of resources um, to focus on human subjects research. Um, And a great example of that is how quickly we ramped up vaccine trials around the world. And academic medical centers are along with partnerships with uh, industry you know, we are going to have to be the leaders in this space in terms of um, how that research gets ramped up, how human participants are invited to participate in that research. And so, you know, this is a really critical moment for health research and research with human subjects around the world and at the University of Michigan. The vaccine trials piece of it is just such a, a great example. I'm really glad that you shared that to bring it to a very realistic moment that we're all living in and how important this type of work is. So you also serve as the executive director of the Michigan Institute for Clinical and Health Research. What is MICHR and how has it been helping researchers battle COVID-19? So MICHR is an institute at the University of Michigan that is an institute at the level of the entire university. It's not just at the medical school. And so our mission is to support clinical and translational research, research with human participants across the entire campus. So across all disciplines and to promote team science and collaborative work in that space. And just a little brief backstory on it that might be somewhat interesting. So 
back in um, sort of the early to mid 2000s, the federal government decided that the United States could be doing better in the space of translating basic science discovery into um, the bedside, to the bedside, to the community, to human participants and to society. And so um, the federal government designed this program called the Clinical and Translational Science Award Program. And so roughly um, between about 60 to 65 different academic medical centers or universities around the country at any given time have one of these federal grants that are designed to identify what are the strategies that academia or universities can use in order to more rapidly translate basic science to interventions um, that can improve human health and well-being of people. And so a lot of our work is supporting, providing support for that. Um, we're providing the infrastructure, facilitating team science, providing some pilot funding, providing all sorts of regulatory support. I could go on and on about all the services we provide. But another key element of the work that we do is actually studying which of these interventions or supports that we provide, which of them is most effective to actually move uh, science across the translational spectrum from working in the lab all the way to um, the community. And so we really try to better understand how can we make science move more quickly, improve the quality of science, improve the engagement of all sorts of researchers in science, improve the way teams function, all of that. Your work touches on so many areas of U of M. So I'm curious if you could share some of the most rewarding aspects of your roles. So some of the most rewarding aspects of my role. So I would say that, um, first of all, I think one of the things I really value about the research that the University of Michigan conducts is that, you know, I came to the University of Michigan as an undergraduate student and it really transformed my life. It was a really key contributor to the trajectory that I took in my life. And I would not have come here unless, uh, the only way I was able to come here was the fact that it was a public university. And so I have a great deal of respect and I place a lot of value on sort of the, the, what underlies the mission of a public university. And so I feel like this is my opportunity to give back to what the University of Michigan gave, gave to me. And I should also mention that, you know, I came here for undergrad and then, um, you know, when I was accepted to medical school here, I was shocked and honored. I just, I, I was flattered and very, very excited. But again, it's an example of where I feel like I was given this opportunity. And once again, that stage of my life as well, being in the medical school here, it was um, one of the first times in my life that I felt like I was surrounded by a lot of really smart people who were dedicating their lives to helping other people. And it was really sort of inspirational. And I felt like I had found this community of people that I really wanted to be a part of. And so, um, you know, I've stayed here for a long time, but having been here now at U of M since 1991 with a brief stint elsewhere, and then I came back, um, I think that being able to lead the human research enterprise here is my opportunity to give back to all of that. And 
I guess one other piece that's really important to me about all of this is that, you know, um, I think we all know that there is this long history in science going back, you know, ever since <laughs> research has been a force in the nation, that a lot of research in human participants has focused on um, white men, to be honest. And it's only been probably since the 1970s and more recently in the early 1990s that the federal government um, as a funder has really put a lot of emphasis on ensuring that um, there's adequate research being focused on women and on children and on people of diverse race and ethnicity, as well as the population with disabilities. And so I feel that in this role, one of the unique things I bring to the role is, you know, I'm not a minority with regard to race and ethnicity, so I can't speak to that directly but I have great commitment to ensuring that we conduct research that speaks to all populations and is inclusive of all populations. And as a woman, I have a lot of passion and enthusiasm for making sure the research is inclusive of women and all of the unique issues that women might face in their lives. And then, you know, as a pediatrician, I did subspecialty training in developmental and behavioral pediatrics, which actually focuses on um, children who might have learning disabilities or autism or that sort of thing. And so I think I have a particular sensitivity to the population of people who have a disability. And when you look at federal funding, there really is underrepresentation in the research world, both of researchers who have a disability as well as research participants who have a disability. And so that's one of the things that I think we could really improve. And I think the University of Michigan really could be a leader in that space because we really have some amazing work going on here. I do think that one of the other things that the pandemic has really taught us is, you know, my husband and I are both on faculty at the University of Michigan. And so we both do research in the medical space. And I think like I was talking about, I have such respect for and faith in honestly, the faculty at the University of Michigan and what is motivating them and how dedicated they are to finding cures and to discovering new things that will improve people's lives. That I think in the context of the pandemic, I think that in my home and in my house and with my family, I often will convey this sense of, I think that the medical research world, we've got this you know, the public health research world, like we've got it, just give us time to get the work done and we will find a way to fix this. And I think that the public deserves to be reassured that all of their um, taxpayer dollars, you know, the, the people that they pay to do this work, they really are committed to getting it done. So I think that I, if there's anything that's important to remember right now about research, it's that the only thing that's going to get us out of this, out of the pandemic, it is science. And so now's the time for all of us to, I guess, trust the process and trust the scientists that they're doing the right thing with the right motivation and that we will get there and we'll solve this. 
So I want to make sure that we have time to dive into some of your research that you've conducted. So you mentioned that you are a trained pediatrician. Mm -hmm. And so you've conducted extensive research examining the development of eating behavior in children, which I imagine is a topic that concerns a lot of families. Mm -hmm. So what led you to focus on that area? And are there any particular studies or findings that you can highlight to explain the significance of this work? It's always interesting to reflect back on one's career and ask yourself, why did I end up studying that topic? And I think sometimes you only realize it in retrospect and when you're in the middle of it, you don't actually grasp it. So, you know, we're all a product of our times. And so, you know, when I was at a formative stage of my career, when I was making decisions, I was at a crossroads about what was I going to do after I was finished with my clinical training. That was right at the period that the childhood obesity epidemic was just skyrocketing and people were talking about it a lot. And so there was that piece of it. But the other piece was that um, in my family, there's a history of obesity. And so my father struggled with obesity all of his life. And so I witnessed it growing up and he tried so hard to lose weight for so many years and just could not do it. And it was not for lack of effort. And so I was really intrigued by this idea of how much was eating behavior contributing to childhood obesity. And you know, the other thing that sort of spurred me forward in this space was my short stint away from the University of Michigan was in Boston where I had gone to learn more about pediatrics and child development. And I met with a psychologist there where we were talking about different research ideas and he asked me as a pediatrician, he said, you know, explain to me the biology and the science underlying infant appetite. And I laughed and said, you know, we don't know. And he said, what are you talking about? Like, why you don't know, like what the biological drivers of infant appetite are? How, what is the biology that, that causes an infant to feel full? that causes an infant to feel hungry. And so we really didn't know, and we still don't really know. And so he was, he was like 70 years old and had been a researcher for his entire career. He was horrified. <laughs> and he basically said, what has the field of pediatrics been doing for the last 80 years? And so it did make me reflect at that time as well, that I think a, another piece of this is that, you know, um, a lot of the task of feeding infants, just by definition, it's something women do. And so who is most expert in the nuances of infant behavior during feeding? It's women. And yet women have not been a part of the research field in pediatrics or in general for a long time. And so it's only been, you know, women started entering medicine and pediatrics like in greater numbers, I think my medical school class was like 45% women. And so it was just becoming more equal like in the late nineties with the graduating classes, as I recall. And only now, only now in the last 10 years or so has there been sort of a critical mass of women um, who have gotten to a point in their career where they can do research in topics in pediatrics that women in particular might have really specific expertise in. And so I would, in general, um, we've been trying to understand better children's eating behavior in the sense that 
there's this long history in medicine that when medicine doesn't understand a disease, we blame it on either the individual and their behavior, or we blame it on the mother. And so, you know, many people might know that back in the 40s, um, autism was blamed on bad mothering. Schizophrenia was blamed on bad mothering. And we have now learned that there are biological contributors to all sorts of behavioral profiles in people. And so right now, the childhood obesity epidemic often is very much blamed on bad mothering, that mothers don't know how to feed their children, mothers don't care about how they feed their children, just this long list of things that um, some people interpret that societal view of it as just another way of oppressing women and misogyny, to be frank. And so I, I, it is absolutely true, absolutely true that parenting is a really critical contributor to children's outcomes. And we have to understand parenting and support people in carrying out parenting. But it's also true that um, kids are born with individual differences. And there are some kids who are born just uh, voracious eaters who love food. And there are other kids who are born as really picky eaters that you really have to encourage to eat. And so as a parent, you basically have to figure out how to parent the child that you have and that children are not blank slates. Children come into the world with a certain predisposition and then you parent in response to that so that they end up with a happy, healthy life, but you can't shape them to be exactly a certain way. Fascinating, it's so true. So as you know, this podcast is a part of a special series that we're conducting about women in STEM as we celebrate International Day of Women and Girls in Science, which seeks to empower women and girls to participate in STEM programs. So I'm curious if you have had any experiences, whether it's been in finding camaraderie in your journey or any challenges you faced or any achievements that you're really proud of that you could share with our audience. The thing I'm most proud of is that oftentimes research topics that are in the domain of children and women often receive fewer resources, less respect. They're viewed as less scientific than some of the fields that are more heavily populated by men. And so um, I think one of the things I'm most proud of is that and I often tell the people I mentor that if you're doing research in um, parenting and how women mother and child development and child behavior and the mother-infant interaction, that that research is just as complex and just as critical to, society, to society's outcomes and well-being as is um, any the host of all the other research being done at the University of Michigan. And, women are primarily the people who do that research. And so I've been really passionate about elevating that research at the University of Michigan and nationally because it is research mostly done by women. And by elevating the research topic, I think you also elevate women and the importance of their work. So I think that's probably what I'm most proud of and what I think is most important for people who are considering pursuing a career in this space to remember, and if they're really passionate about a particular topic, to reflect on where that topic sits in society and the hierarchy of what's viewed as important or scientific, 
and just think about it in the context of what our society places value on and then pursue what you're passionate about. Thank you so much for your time. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much for doing this. This is great. Thank you for listening to the Michigan Minds podcast, a production of the University of Michigan. Join the conversation on social media with hashtag UMichImpact.